Well, today we're going to be in John chapter 6. We're working our way through John's gospel. The gospels are the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. A gospel means good news. So it's the proclamation of the good news that Jesus came, he lived, he died, he was raised from the dead, he's still alive, and he's got good work for his church to do, his people to do before he comes to fully establish his kingdom. That's what a gospel is all about. And so we've been going through John's gospel, hearing his eyewitness account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Today in chapter 6, there's a few familiar stories uh, that you've probably heard ever since you were a, a, a little ankle biter in kids' ministry or vacation, vacation Bible school or Sunday school if your history with Jesus goes back that far. And then there's a difficult teaching of Jesus that closes out this chapter. So the beginning story is the story of Jesus feeding more than 5,000 people with just five loaves of bread and two fish. How many of you have heard that story before? Got some head, heads nodding, Okay. Uh, then there's a story of Jesus walking on the sea, brings some fear to his disciples. And then we have this difficult teaching of Jesus where he compares himself to the manna from the Old Testament that God used to feed his people, provided that manna, that bread each day that they needed. And Jesus says, whoever feeds on me is really going to have eternal life. And so that's a difficult teaching for his disciples to hear. So those are the stories we're going to be looking at today. There's some uh, tie-ins to the Old Testament people of God, the New Testament people of God, and then we living today as the people of God right here in the year 2019. And, and the, the overarching theme that you're going to see in this chapter in John 6 is that theme of God working in his people, God working on behalf of his people, God working through his people. Time and again, it's a focus on God as that sure foundation. The God who provided the manna in the wilderness, led them out of a slavery to Egypt, led them to the land of promise. He provided the nourishment that they needed every day to fulfill his call. The, the God who came himself in the form of Jesus had led, led the people out of a slavery to sin, leading them to the promised land of God's blessing would sustain them and nourish them in the wilderness while they awaited the full recognition and, and realization of God's promises. And that Jesus is here with us today providing, nourishing, caring for, sustaining us as we fix our hope upon him. So let's read the story together here in John chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. It says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not be enough bread, would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. 
And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Let's, let's stop there and, and look at some of the elements of this story so far at the beginning of John 6. Uh, we've got various characters here that have been introduced. There's a crowd of hungry people. 5,000 men, it specifies, not counting the women and children. This could very well be a crowd of upward of 20,000 people gathered and hungry. And there's a couple of the disciples called out by name here in John's account. By the way, this is the only miracle story that appears in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record this feeding of the 5,000. 5,000 plus. But here in John's Gospel, he highlights Philip and Andrew in particular. Uh, and and they have a role to play. There's some dialogue that happens between Jesus and these two disciples. There's uh, Jesus testing Philip. Where are we gonna, uh, how are we going to buy the, the food that's required to feed this many people, Philip? Philip, where is your hope? Where is your faith? And he says, you know, if we had eight months' wages, it wouldn't even give everybody here a mouthful, Jesus. We don't have that much money. There's no way we can, in practice, fulfill the needs of this large crowd of people. And then Andrew, you know, he, he's not pointing to the, the lunch of this small boy, his five little cakes of bread and his two little sardines. He's not saying that this could be a, a solution to our problem. He's saying, you know, this is all the food we've got. There's no possible way that we can feed this many people. And really, all of that dialogue sets up the miracle, it highlights, it, it draws attention to, it shines a light on the significance and the power of this miracle that Jesus performs. Just as God himself provided manna in the wilderness for the hordes of Israelites who had spent generations multiplying in Egypt as slaves there, and now 430 years later, God leads them and delivers them from Egypt and leads them across the Red Sea, parts the waters, leads them into the desert, and he provides that nourishment every day, fresh manna, fresh bread from God. They're about to see a reenactment of that miracle for the, the New Testament people of God, and their, their attention will be fixed on God, the, the God who provides all that you need. There's a heavenly message in this miracle that Jesus performs and this is a theme we've seen over and over again in John's gospel where there's a heavenly message but then there's people who only hear with earthly ears, right? 
They, they, they miss the real picture of what God is doing. It's not about the bread and the fish today. It's not about one meal that Jesus provides. It's a reminder that there is a God who, provi- who provides for his people. And he provides not just enough, but more than enough. Twelve baskets full of leftovers, left over from the five loaves of bread and the two fish that they began with. And the earthly reality is that everyone that was present saw the miraculous sign. They ate their fill. And they had both that feeling of contentment in their stomach and the visual picture of these huge baskets of bread left over and this huge crowd that had been nourished and sustained. And yet, as we'll we'll read later in the chapter, they're distracted by that earthly picture and miss the heavenly message that Jesus is bringing through this miracle. There in verse 15, we get a glimpse of what's to come where Jesus perceives that they're about to take him by force and make him be their king. This is not the kind of king that Jesus came to be. This is the kind of king that really Satan had tempted Jesus with back during the temptation story when Satan says, if you will bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this earth and all their riches. And Jesus rejects that, responds with scripture and says, the Lord God alone is to be worshiped and obeyed. And yet once again now that voice of temptation is coming now not from Satan himself but from the people, the crowd of people saying we're going to make you the kind of king we want. A king who who gives us food. A king who gets rid of the Romans. A king who upsets the other power structures of our day. An earthly king that gives us earthly things. And Jesus withdraws and he says no, I'm just as I resisted that temptation the first time it came, I reject that desire that you have to set me up as the wrong kind of king. And he withdraws. There's other elements there in the story. 5,000 men would be sufficient to begin a revolt. Passover is an ideal time to begin a revolt. Passover celebrates and commemorates Independence Day for God's people, the Jews. It's the day that they became independent from the slavery of Egypt, right? It'd be like, if you want to start a revolt here, July 4th would be a great day to do it, right? There's some history there. There's some echoes and reverberations from the past. And so all of that is embedded in this story of the wrong kind of a kingdom, people desiring the wrong kind of a king, a kingdom of this world sort of a king. Jesus rejects that. So the God who is able to provide and nourish once again is here on the scene. Jesus himself, the bread from heaven that God provides to nourish and sustain his people. He also has authority over the the wind and the waves. This is Jesus now walking calmly in, in the midst of a storm on the water. His disciples don't even have a category for this. They're terrified. They're afraid. They lack understanding, and yet in the midst of that storm, Jesus calmly says, It is I. Do not be afraid. You will reach the land that you're going to. Just as the Old Testament people of God reached that promised land as God directed them, led them, sustained them, and guided them, that God is here today in the person of Jesus, calming the waves, walking in the midst of the storm, calling his people to not fear but to trust in him, you'll reach the other side. For us today, as I look at these stories and looking around the room, I know, I know some of the prayer requests in this room, and I, I won't uh, call you out uh, today, but I know that there are some of you today that are in a storm, that are facing some challenges in this life. 
Uh, it could be financial. It could be related to your own health or to a loved one who's going through a difficult time. There's relational challenges. There's need for direction and guidance. There's those who are battling an addiction or depression or stress and anxiety. There's an enemy who is opposing you. And so we're not unlike the people of God at these other plumb line points in history that we've been studying here today. And the reminder that we need is that in the midst of that storm, Jesus is walking with us and he's not upset. He's not discouraged. He's not confused. He's at peace. He's walking in the storm and he gives us that message of peace as well. He says, it is I, do not be afraid. And he meets us in that storm and he meets us with our hunger that we bring. He says, I can sustain that, but it's bigger than just that hunger. Let's talk about your hunger. Let's talk about your appetite. What do you really hunger for? What will give you the nourishment that you really need? It's not those fleeting desires and appetites today because once this circumstance is resolved, there will be another that comes next week and another the year after. There will be challenges. There. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. That's the God that we meet today, the God who sustains, the God who is more than enough, and he'll bring us safely to the other side. So for this crowd, you know, on day one, they, they received this, this awesome all-you-can-eat buffet free of charge from Jesus. And they said, we want more of that. We want this guy to be our king. Let's find out where he went. Where did he go? And so we continue on here in verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, now, now, notice he's a bit evasive in his response. He doesn't really answer their question of how he came to the other side. You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. 
And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Let's pause there. This is the dialogue that Jesus is having with the crowd who had eaten their fill on day one, followed him across the sea to get another meal on day two. And this is the exchange that they've had. Now it moves into a dialogue between Jesus and the Jews in the next verses. But here, you know, we have some different messages from the crowd. You know, first they begin by asking, how did you get here, Jesus? And he, he does not answer that question. He addresses their heart issue and says, you're only looking for me because you got your bellies filled yesterday. You only heard the earthly message of that miracle, not the heavenly message that would really give you life that will sustain you not just for one day, but for every day, for your eternal lives. And so then they ask another question. Well, we want to do the works of God. And really what they're saying in an earthly way is, we want to be able to multiply fish and loaves. Show us how can we do that trick, that magic trick that you did yesterday. We want that ability ourselves. And Jesus says, you want to do God's work? God's work is this. Believe in me. Trust in me. Look to me. Look to the one that he sent. That's the work of God, the, the primary work of God. It's not about the miracles. It's about faith in Jesus, trusting in him, depending upon him, the sure rock that doesn't change and shift. And the crowd looks right past that and says, do another sign. Impress us. Show us something. Feed us. And Jesus then ties into their own history because they've been quoting from the Old Testament history and saying, you know, Moses gave manna to the people every day. It's day two, Jesus. Where's our next meal? And Jesus says the whole point was not to draw attention to Moses. The whole point of the manna was that God's people would depend upon the only one who doesn't depend on anything. You know, that's the difference between the creator and the created, the creation. God does not depend on anything. You know, we, we say that all the time, right? Will you be there tomorrow? Well, that depends. Well, there are some contingencies. God is the only one who is completely independent, completely autonomous, completely self-sufficient, completely non-contingent. He doesn't depend on anything. He is authority. He is the source of all glory. He is the giver of life. And we are all in that other category of created things. James 4 puts it this way. I better turn there so I can quote it correctly for you. Come now you who say today or tomorrow... We will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. That's a humble way of saying, God, we depend upon you. You're the only sure thing. You're the only one that is a rock that doesn't change, a foundation that we can depend on. How arrogant of you and I to look at 
the history of our world and think that even though empires have risen and fallen, even though kingdoms have begun and ended, even though nations have started and fallen, yet somehow you and I as individuals will endure. You know, we're not dependent, we're not contingent. What we build really lasts. And yet I think it's a naive view that looks at ourselves as being autonomous and independent of God. And on this day, Jesus is reminding the crowd there's only one source of life. There's only one thing that doesn't shift and change. There's only one thing that lasts forever. We just had a trip to the Midwest for Malika's graduation in Chicago. And on the way back, we, we uh, went up to visit my folks in southern Wisconsin. There, there's, some, there's some difficult, painful things that are happening for our family this month of June. There's two really significant properties that are being sold. One is the home that my parents have lived in for the last 32 years. And the other is my grandparents' farm that's been in their family for over 100 years. So uh, my great-grandparents had, this, uh, had a dairy farm there in southeastern Wisconsin. Uh, my grandma is still alive, but she's moved into a, a, a retirement home. And so that farm is being sold this month. Both those properties are under contract. So we had a chance to, to say goodbye to those properties. You know, my, my grandparents' farm in the woods there by their house, there's oak trees that, that big around. You know, it takes a while to grow an oak tree that big. My parents' house, there's hickory trees that are that big around. And there's some that are this big that we didn't plant. So 32 years ago, they, they didn't look much different than they do now, six-inch diameter. And you look at some of those majestic hardwoods and you think, you know, those trees are well over 100 years old. It would take more than one human lifetime to rebuild and replicate uh, those familiar places that, that our kids have been raised, that we played in growing up. And so there's some sorrow to let go of a place and say, you know, there's going to be another family that owns this, that enjoys these properties. Yet for me, it's been a reminder of how fleeting and temporary any appetite or desire that I have that's not God really is. Properties come and go. Status in life comes and goes. That promotion that you've been hoping for and that new title that you want, someday you're going to take that name tag off of your mahogany desk and they're going to be having a retirement party for you and you'll probably be you know, wearing a blue vest at Walmart just like everyone else in your age. No. <laughs> and that's a noble career. That's fine. I'm not picking on the Walmart greeters. But that status, it comes and goes. Your youth is fleeting. Your own health. It's not, a, it's not an upward steady progress of greater strength and fitness. I got some bad news for you. You're dependent. You're contingent. Your life is like a mist, James 4 tells us. Even the relationships don't last. There's some people that you love and care about that are no longer in your life. And looking around this room, we, there's a time expiration stamp on each one of us. And yet there is one source of hope and strength. There's one sure thing that lasts forever. And that's the rock that doesn't change. That's the bread that really gives life Jesus is offering this kind of nourishment to the crowd gathered on that day, and all they can think about is their bellies. Really, the key verse here in, in John, 3, John chapter 6, and let's read it together again here in verse 35, if we could go back just a couple slides. This is the key verse in the chapter. Jesus said to them, 
I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The one who quenches the thirst and satisfies our appetites is Jesus alone. He's the giver of life and and the two components in what it it means to be nourished, to feed on Jesus, to receive him. It says two things. Number one, come to me. And number two, believe in me. He, He restates it again there in verse 40. This is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. So those, those are the elements. That's what it is to find your satisfaction in him alone. To have all of your hungers and appetites directed to him alone. That we come to him. That we believe in him. That we look on him. That's what it is to have our thirst quenched and our appetites satisfied. Nothing else in this earth can do that. Anything else that that would give us that temporary, momentary feeling of fullness, tomorrow we'll be hungry again. Tomorrow we'll be craving more. And you know know this if you try to keep up with the latest technology or the coolest car or that nice outfit, how fleeting and temporary that is. Styles change. That new smartphone that you just got is now obsolete. There's something... There's that next best thing that comes. This is the nature of all those hungers and appetites that the world would tantalize us with. They don't last. And there is one that remains. Jesus says, come to me, believe in me, look on me, and experience life. So the teaching gets even more difficult as now that the Jews come and oppose Jesus. They're they're opposed to him a couple chapters ago because, you know, first of all, he wasn't observing the Sabbath. He was, he was encouraging people to do stuff like be healed on the Sabbath day. Well, that's almost borderline work. Taking up your, your mat when you've been paralyzed and carrying that bed that you used to be confined to. Uh, you're doing this on a, on a Sabbath day? Seriously, Jesus? Not only that, but he was claiming to be the Son of God. And so there was that claim of divinity that the people rejected, the Jewish leaders rejected. And so now, once again, they're grumbling. If you're a careful reader here in the story and you know your Old Testament, maybe you'll see some more connections between Jesus and manna than just what Jesus has described. Do you remember any grumbling over manna in the Old Testament? You know, go back and read some of those Old Testament stories. And here's here's the people of God. They've been delivered from slavery, generations of slavery in Egypt. God has miraculously led them across the Red Sea. He guides them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of flame by night. He provides them with the food they need for every day and they grumble. You know, back in Egypt when we were slaves, we got to eat leeks and onions, flavorful food. And now it's nothing but manna all day long. And God is aggravated by the grumbling of his people. And once again, now we've got the Jews grumbling about the bread of life who has appeared to them on this day. And in verse 41, the Jews grumbled because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. 
It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Is that a hard teaching for you? Can you imagine for a kosher first century Jew hearing this teaching of Jesus, how hard? I mean, you know, I'm, I come from some German ancestry. At least we've got blood sausage in our, in our disgusting dietary history. You know, for these people, what Jesus is saying is repulsive and offensive. And again, he's speaking in heavenly ways and they're hearing with earthly ears. You know, it's, they're, they're hearing, are you, are you advocating cannibalism starting today? You know, we're not even allowed to eat a, a nice pink steak with blood still in it. It's got to be well done, not medium rare. And you're saying, drink your blood? That's repulsive. And yet Jesus has already explained the metaphor that he's describing by saying, to feed on me, to be nourished by me, to come to the bread of life, to have your thirst quenched and have your appetite satisfied means coming to me, believing in me, looking on me. That's the source of eternal life. And once again, these people don't have the ears to hear and they're repulsed by what they only hear through their earthly ears. In fact, so repulsed that it says in verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. 
So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. We're getting some previews of some things yet to come in John's gospel. But again, here as Jesus summarizes the teaching of this chapter and his dialogue with the crowds, with the Jews, with the twelve, with the disciples, uh, those who only followed for a while and then left when the teaching got hard, and then the true disciples who followed because they came to him for the words of life. We're hearing Jesus teach and explain that there is a way of the Spirit, there is a way of life, there is a way of receiving the bread from heaven that will nourish and sustain, that will quench the thirsts and satisfy the appetites. And yet there is also a this-worldly, earthly, not-enduring, without-life way of living and being. And there's a caution. And really our prayer at the end of our service today should be the same prayer as Peter articulates to Jesus when he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Today, as we've, we've got, looked at some difficult teachings of Jesus here, hopefully there's some hope that you found in, in, these, in these words. Not just the difficult part of, of munching on Jesus and drinking of him, and the difficult idea of that metaphor and that picture, but also the hope that comes in knowing that if you are a son of the king, if you are a daughter of God, then God, it teaches us here, God took you and gave you to Jesus. God drew you to himself. And those that Jesus has are secure in that place. There's no questioning and wondering, am I going to get yanked out of here? Is there going to be some force bigger than God that will take me away from him? but to have the confidence in knowing that you belong to him and he will sustain you to the end through the difficulties, through the challenges that come. It's not to say that there's not a requirement on our part to live and walk trusting in him. That's also included in here, remaining in him. There is a vine and there are branches and we're called to remain in him. And yet to have that confidence and that peace and that assurance that comes with knowing that if you belong to him, that was not a work on your part. It wasn't you deciding, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Jesus a try today. That was God drawing you to himself. And maybe today you're here in this room and for the first time you're making a decision about, am I going to respond to God calling me to himself? Am I going to be among those who find all of their satisfaction in him alone, whose appetites are met in him, whose thirsts and deepest longings are quenched because of Jesus? Or am I going to continue to hear with earthly ears just looking for my temporary need to be met today? Well, today's the day to surrender. Today's the day to yield, to give in, and say, God, I give you all that I am. In you alone are the words of eternal life. To whom else should I go? There's nothing else that remains. Everything else is dependent and contingent. It's like a mist that started out the day and then the sun burned it off.
But I challenge you today, if that's you and you're saying, today's the day that I need to surrender and yield, then come up for prayer at the end of the service. I'd love to pray with you as you make that decision to be one of the disciples that follows after him and says, I'm with you to the very end. Give me that eternal life today that lasts forever. We're going to, at this time, stand and pray uh, together. So I invite you to, to stand. And, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's grab hands with somebody near you because I know there are pains and difficulties right here in this room. There are challenges that we each face. And so today, hopefully, we have that hope in this place to know that God provides and sustains. And let's lift each other up in prayer as we go to him. God, we thank you that you are all that we need. We thank you that you're the p- permanent cure to our hunger and thirst. We thank you that you call us to yourself, that you call us to come to you, to look to you, and to believe in you. God, forgive us for the times that we've grumbled and that we've looked at our circumstances and we've been dissatisfied. We've wished we had a little bit more. We've wished that our earthly appetite would be satisfied in some way. And today I pray that we'd have that same hope and trust and reverence for you. God, for the person here today that's in a storm, and the, the clouds are rolling in, the, the sea is tumultuous, the wind is strong. God, I pray that instead of fear, they would have faith in you. Lord, help them to hear your voice saying, it is I, do not be afraid. Walk with them in the midst of the storm. Help them to lift their eyes to see you, to know that you're, you're there in the boat with us as we go, that you help us to reach the other side. Lord, for the person who's been feeding other appetites and looking for that next thing that will satisfy and give that temporary sustenance, Lord, I pray that today you give them a taste of the eternal life that you call them to. We thank you that you're the one that draws us to you. You're the one that enables us to come to you. You're the one that opens blind eyes. You're the one that sustains and gives eternal life. And we pray together with Peter, to whom else should we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed. We've come to know you. You are the Holy One of God. We pray that you'd go with us this day that we would bring those words of eternal life to our friends, our neighbors, our classmates, our coworkers, to the stranger that we meet, to the person around the world in a different culture, that we'd bring the good news that you are the King, you are the giver of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Find someone to... uh, to pray with today uh, one-on-one if they've got a need. And then we'll see you next week at Pine Ridge Elementary School. God bless.